and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. My name is Sam Lewis, joined as always by the lovely Jack Hendon here on episode 42 of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's Jackie Robinson episode time, and we're not going to talk about, we don't have any, there's nothing Jackie Robinson related about this episode other than the fact that it's the 42nd episode that we're doing. I'm just going to, Jack, I'm going to throw it to you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm great. Um weird weekend weird homestand uh but you know every day in first place is a is a good day and um hopefully kyle schwarber only takes us deep once today um not twice we'll see it is monday morning uh usually we do these recordings sunday night um you know we've just been mixing it up a little bit but you will have this well ahead of first pitch anyway so uh you know we figure it's all good. Just cover any, uh, you know, any stuff that happens between Sunday night and Monday morning, which in our world seems to happen a lot. Whenever we finish recording, there's always some big uh, announcement or uh, event of some kind that takes place either on the baseball field or, you know, off the field. So this is our way of protecting against that, I guess. Yeah. So it is Monday morning. So if we sound a little groggy, well, if I sound groggy, it's because I was asleep one hour ago. Um, the Mets, on the other hand, played like they were asleep on Sunday as they had a chance to take three or four from the Phillies, had a chance to take the homestand, an eight-game homestand against the Braves and Phillies. Instead, they settled for a split. They got shut down by Zach Wheeler and go four and four on the homestand, splitting both series against the Braves and the Phillies. And they split both doubleheaders that they played against the Braves and the Phillies. So... It could be worse at the end of the day. I think the best thing about the homestand besides the walk-off wins, because those were fun is the fact that the Mets are going to enter the month of July in sole possession of first place for the first time since redacted year since 2007, 2007. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking either 07 or 08, but 08, they got off to a really slow start. So yeah. So the only teams with like longer stretches are like the Mariners and Marlins. And I think one other team, I saw a tweet, but the Mets are breaking that stretch of not, you know, having a lead in July, heading into July. That's Mm kind of cool. Um, But obviously still lots of season to go. So we wanted these games. We wanted these games against the Braves and the Phillies because this was an opportunity to bury a couple of teams. And instead they still have life because they didn't really gain any ground on either team and the nationals keep kind of winning which scares me a little bit because they're not good but they're playing really good baseball yeah al schwarber is the is on another planet still yeah they're getting the back end of our rotation too although it's yeah we have so i guess they have one well it's only one game uh the nationals is only one game then we go to atlanta that's i think it's they have a makeup game today and then they have a three game set at Truist Park and then they go to the Bronx for a subway series, which I'm excited about. Uh, usually those don't go like that. Well, there's maybe one game in the Bronx series that always goes our way and then everything else is just kind of getting outclassed by the Yankees. But it is a different year. Um, Yankees are still kind of scuffling to get out of the middle and the Red Sox and Rays aren't helping them. 
but I agree with you about this series. I think the thing that's just, it's also frustrating because like, at, I don't know so much with the Braves. I mean, offensively, the Braves didn't look great, but like when you're batting, you know, Ere Adrian's a fifth, like that's just what's going to happen. Um, but the Phillies, man, the Phillies just did, they lost games uh, the way that I remember the Mets losing games, like three or four years ago. Like they just look horrible. Um, they basically handed us the first walk off and then I'd argue they handed us the second one too. Like against a more competent team, I'm not so sure this would have been a, a, a sweep. And it's just, I think it's frustrating because like the, a lot of the guys are back now, like McNeil's back and Fordo's back. Um, Lindor is actually hitting now. McCann had a pretty good series. And it's like, why can't you just like punish these guys? You know, like it's, it was a perfect opportunity, I think, separate yourself from a team like that in the division, um, not only from like just a standings perspective, but just in directional terms, like, you know, to actually play really, really good baseball against a team that was reeling and to just not do it is it's it's annoying because like we're I think the most annoying thing is that we're still stuck in this state as fans of like like thinking okay so like are we going to run away with this now like when are we actually going to get a hold of this division and, and just claim it because this was the opportunity if there ever was one and I'm sure another one will come up but also like I don't want to keep I don't want to exist in this purgatory anymore of like all right so when are they going to fall apart or like when are the Phillies going to wake up or when are the Braves going to wake up like I just wanted it to be over I wanted to you know I wanted to enjoy July a little bit and uh now I gotta keep thinking about like you know, padding the standings a little. And the Nationals do kind of scare me, at least relative to the Phillies, because they actually, like, hit, you know? I don't think they're better than the Mets by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, and the Braves are going to – got to figure eventually the Braves are going to have a series like they always do when we go to Atlanta where, like, they just kind of pick apart our pitching. I mean, we're going to have – it's going to be interesting. So the series, I'm looking at the schedule. Um, I wrote it down somewhere. It's So it's Eikhoff on Monday night, which his second start, uh, you know, it's going to be against a better offense in, in Washington. Uh, and then they have a three-game set in Atlanta where it's lined up for McGill, Taiwan Walker, and then Jacob deGrom. So something that gets a little bit better with each day, but also like it is further away. We don't know what the first game of that series is going to look like. It's one of those things where like you, you really just want it to be over. You just want the waiting to end. I think it would be neat if they, you know, head on this little mini NL East road trip this week, the four games, the one in Washington and the three in Atlanta, and they win all four. I would like that. Yeah, that would, would be like, good. I would like that a lot. Do I see it happening? Probably not. Because well, Jared Eikhoff is pitching today. Yeah. Um, we had another Tyler McGill start. Who knows how that's going to go? Mm-hmm. He's still a question mark right now, although he's probably the fifth or sixth best starter in the organization in terms, you know, for guys who are healthy. Yeah. Which is weird. Um, yeah. However, you know, it's who knows how this goes. It's such a weird, the team is in such a weird spot right now because, like you said, guys, the offense is healthy again. And we're getting Brandon Nimmo back for the start of the Atlanta series. 
good. So that's good. We don't have to endure, you know, everyday starter Kevin Pillar anymore. We have our, you know, JD Mart, uh, JD Davis is starting his rehab assignment this week. Pretty soon, by the All Star break, we're gonna, assuming that goes well, because he's already done a rehab assignment once, yeah. we're going to have our opening day lineup again. Which good. However, we do know that literally every hitter in this lineup has underperformed this year. Which fantastic. Yeah. Let's maybe change that, guys. Please. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was really, I think, hard to watch. Like the Saturday game in particular, I was just checking like the um, like that ninth inning when they were putting it together against Norris, like really the only person I trusted with in that at bat with the bases loaded was Luis Guillorme. Like every yep. and that sounds very reactionary, but also like every other hitter against a bad pitcher or with guys on base or both had been bad, had either just swung away and given away their at-bat or had taken too many pitches and given away their at-bat or popped up and given away their at-bat or hit into a double play, which in that case, I guess, would have scored a run, but also like, like it's a, it's a freaking double play. Like, can we not? Um, but Guillaume was the only one who I think was actually putting together at-bats like he had when the offense was clicking last year, two years ago, et cetera. Like we got, we had some very, I think, nice strokes of luck. Um, and it's, it's tough too, because this lineup hasn't really been together for a while. So, you know, that that aspect of it is only going to hurt us more. The fact that they need to like gel again, I think Nimmo being in the leadoff spot and McNeil finally getting pushed out of there is going to be good. He had a bad series, Jeff McNeil, like he didn't get a hit that whole series. He went over 12. Um, he's looked probably, I think, the flattest of all of, like, at least Conforto is is putting the ball in play. At least Dom is, you know, putting, like, giving you a hit or two um, across, like, a two-game stretch. Um, McNeil just, I don't know what it is, man. I mean, I think it's one of those things where he, he thrives off getting more at-bats, just getting more comfortable we saw this last year but like I don't know it's it was really hard to watch especially because Lindor behind him was actually Lindor probably had the best homestand amongst the actual regulars even if his at-bats were also kind of bad when he wasn't on the offense in general's just got to turn it around because guess who's the lowest scoring offense in the National League it's the New York Mets it's hmm. they they have fallen below the Pittsburgh Pirates this year in terms of runs per game, which is unacceptable. And it's unbelievable too, because they're still a first place team. I get that the pitching has just been that good, but it's like at one, at some point you got to figure things are going to start to even out. Cause the offensive talent on this team is, is too good for yeah. it to be this bad. And maybe Nimmo sliding into the leadoff spot and getting on base at a 400 clip will start to move the chains a little bit. Like that'll help. I think hopefully. Um, but this is like, all right, guys, you're starting to worry me. Like, end of May, I'm like, all right, guys got off to bad starts. Guys are hurt. It's all right. They'll turn it around. End of June, now we're like halfway through the season. Yeah. Maybe this is just the seasons these guys are having, which is disappointing because we're not getting anything out of these guys, especially we're not getting any power at City Field. Yeah. Like, Kevin Pillar hit two home runs in this series, but they're not hitting for any power at City Field. Yeah. And they haven't all year. And that is concerning. Mm -hmm. Pete Alonso, I know Gary Cohen mentions it literally 
every yeah. time Pete bats at home. He's one home run at City Field this year. Kevin Pillar has more home runs at City Field this year than Pete Alonso, and Pete Alonso is competing in the home run derby. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things where it's just like, I mean, we talked about this, I think, a month ago with Jonathan VR when he was like second on the team in home runs. Like, I think that it's going to work itself out. It didn't help firing Chili Davis in the middle of the season. Um, I think Chili Davis just should have been gone before the year even started. Like once you abandon the plan you have in place, like you've been, you've basically accepted that you no longer have like something concrete for hitters to be following the whole season, uh, which I'm sure, especially given how some of the guys liked Chili Davis probably was difficult for them, but also like, we're at a point now where I think the the only player who really gets any like remotely regular action who you can be like, oh, well, once he's out of the lineup, like once like it's no longer, I think, a depth specific issue. Like it's not like when it's not like the begin. It's like the, it's not like the end of May when we had like Brandon Drury um, and Cameron Mabin in the lineup like every day. Like right now, Albert Almora is the only one and it's a very strong case, but it's still he's still the only one who like who I'm like all right will be a little bit better when he's not in the lineup anymore like it's just a function of who is available but because he's been he's been really 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 bad and I don't think the defense really spells it at this point like the at-bats have just been atrocious he's not getting bunts down at this point like he has to be optioned when Nimmo comes back I don't really see what else they can possibly do about it but also you can't escape. You can't use him as a scapegoat anymore. You can't use the depth thing anymore because it's like, you know, McNeil is here. Um, Alonzo's been back for like a month now. McCann is hitting. Like if McCann and Lindor are turning it around at this stage in the season, you would think that one of McNeil, Conforto, Alonzo, Smith would actually just like channel what made them good in the first place. And I think that Conforto is closest to that right now. And Sometimes Pete hits the ball hard and it's like, oh, he'll, he's getting in it again. But it's just, it's been really inconsistent. Yeah, I think I agree with you that Conforto is probably the closest. Uh, his at-bats since coming back have been pretty solid. Especially, I really liked, I just enjoy watching him go to the opposite field and that his walk-off sack fly was like vintage. Yeah. Conforto, just a laser to left center. That's probably a hit if Odubel Herrera is not trying to cut down a run at the plate. Right. Uh and I just enjoyed that. And I hope there's more of that on the way because mm-hmm. I love watching Michael Conforto hit. It's one of the most aesthetically pleasing swings in baseball. Yeah. When he connects, just there ain't nothing like it. So yeah, let's, let's go down to Washington today. And how about we put up seven runs against the Nats bullpen because they're doing a bullpen day today. Cause Eric, we don't have to face literally Eric Fetty cause he's on the injured list. He was scheduled yeah. to go in this, this game. So it's, it's going to be the, an immovable object against unstoppable uh, force. an unstoppable force with this pitching right. matchup, the Nats bullpen against Jared Eikhoff. So yeah. who knows? I, I keep saying, who knows? Maybe it's just the fact that my brain is not working yet. Cause it's, well, we don't. This honestly, this whole thing has kind of this this homestand has put me in a state of just not knowing. Like a lot of this also comes down to like which side of this is going to go back to normal first. Because if it's the pitching that goes back to normal first, we're in deep shit. 
Um, if the hitting goes back to normal first, we're probably going to be fine because um, the pitching right now is being hung. It's being held together by like some some depth guys, some of whom I think we've just like come to appreciate at this point and embrace as like solid depth guys. Like Sean Reed Foley had another good game on Friday. He, I mean, he technically got the loss, but in extra innings with that stupid ass rule and a guy at second base, if you're getting, what was it? It was like two ground balls and a pop-up and you're only throwing five pitches. Like you're doing a pretty good job keeping your team in the game. Um, Yancy Diaz, I think, even if he gave up the three runs with the Stroman injury on Tuesday night, he gave us like some pretty, he gave us some pretty crucial innings. Corey Oswald's been good too, which has been like a shock to me. Like, I don't know how long it lasts, so to speak, because again, these are NL East offenses. Like, do I think he gets Gesellman's spot moving forward? Like, I just couldn't tell you that right now, but I mean, two long relief appearances, one for three innings and one for four innings, like in a week, that's, that'll play, you know, one earned run in that span, that will definitely play. Um, So I'm, I'm feeling, I think, pretty confident in those guys right now, as far as how long that goes, I'm not too sure. Like Tyler McGill was good for four innings in his debut and then kind of, you know, showed that he wasn't that ready in that last inning. That was a very fun game to be at, by the way, on Wednesday. I got to go to that one. And that was the one game that the offense, like, actually really, really looked like a, a good offense. Um, they had – what was it? I'm looking at it. I wrote it out somewhere. Like, they had – yeah, across their eight games, they scored more than two runs only twice. Um, I was I was happy to be at that one game. And it was – it still wasn't, like, a super-packed environment. Um, we didn't Jack. get a ground game, you know, Tyler McGill game is just a Tyler McGill game, but yeah. Hey, Jack. Yeah. Who were you at that game with? Oh, I was, I was at the game with my girlfriend, Sam. Right. Oh, yeah. Sick yeah. girlfriend brag, man. That was fun. That was her first game in like a couple years. Uh, I think it was a good game to be at. Like the latter innings of that game were a little bit of a, of a war, like with the pitchers that they were bringing out, like kept waiting for Austin Riley to just take Corey Oswald deep and it didn't happen, but like Lindor was great. Um, I think Conforto had an, a couple extra base hits in that game too. Uh, that was, that was a fun one to be a part of. We were like at the first baseline too. So like all of these hits, we were just watching like sail toward right field. It was really cool. Um, I can't wait to be there when it's like really, really full. Um, Sounds excellent. Honestly. Yeah. yeah that game with McGill specifically. Yeah. Because he did look good through the first four innings, and then he kind of just got, I think, tired. He was also, I believe, on slightly short rest, I mm-hmm. want to say, one day shorter than a normal rotation for him. So yeah, maybe that plays a factor. Maybe now he's got a week, you know, he's got a, a normal routine. Maybe he could keep, you know, going for mm-hmm. a little bit longer. Um, he's also seeing the same Braves team a second time in a row, which you never really know how it's going to go for a starter when they have back-to-back starts against the same team. Yeah. But like Oswald has been great. Corey yeah. Oswald has been, been great. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe this is just Jeremy Hefner working his magic on yet another pitcher. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I hope that that's the case. He was sitting like, I think 92, 93, which is what he usually is, but 
he's definitely not like I think the first guy that gets like cut anymore necessarily um you probably well actually I don't know because if they really like McGill I guess they'll keep him around but you have to put Oswald through waivers again if you DFA him and I don't know it's it's tough on a basis of two games and seven innings to be like yes keep him and give him a regular job but also do you really like give up on that right now if you can avoid it probably not um but that's been like just super impressive and then the rest of the bullpen too has been like the high leverage guys except for Miguel Castro who is clearly suffering without whatever substances he was using before whatever probably legal substances he was using before like you know that's its own problem he's the only one I don't really trust though like everyone else like Lugo was huge on on in the uh, day day part of the doubleheader on Friday. Got coming in with uh, I think it was like yeah he came in and struck out the side with the you know with those Phillies and then Trevor May's been really good. He's had a bunch of squirrels innings and Aaron Loop keeps getting asked to do weirder and weirder things. Like they had him pitch three innings on Tuesday night, but he was like spotless and you know like that was that was huge and. It also seems like Familia will be back soonish. He's already going to start a rehab assignment. And that's a huge plus because, you know, most of the relievers, most of the pitchers in general that have gotten hurt this year have needed longer. Like, you know, they pretty much just announced out of nowhere with Jordan Yamamoto, however many weeks ago that was that like, yeah, he's a 60 day IL. Like we don't know how ready he's going to be, you know? And like, and then the same thing with Lucchese and Gesellman really too. Yeah. Yeah, those guys, Tommy Hunter also, they they pretty much like hid whatever back problem he had and then it was its own issue. But Familia, that's a really good sign. Um, so yeah, I like, I, I've just been really, I think, grateful for the pitching at this point. Even if like Stroman didn't have a great game yesterday either. Like, you know, I think that it's probably going to be okay. Like David Peterson looks a lot better now. He's really hitting his stride and it's kind of a bummer he's not going to get to pitch against the Braves because he always, you know, does good things against them. But uh, we'll get Jacob DeGrom at least, and that'll be cool because he seems healthy now-ish. I mean, every every start there's some kind of thing. Like when he got hit by the McCutcheon line drive, like we were all holding our breaths for a second. Like it's just – it's it's really – it really is just like such a delicate machine you have out there, and you need to take good care of him think those he threw like 88 pitches on uh uh saturday and that was like the most he'd thrown in a game this year he looked pedestrian to and to like some extent which was like yeah weird. well yeah it's because he didn't really have a feel for his change up like when his change up is on it's really one of those things too where like he is like a four pitch pitcher with each pitch being like hall of fame potential and when he doesn't have one of them, you have 25% less of the guy than you usually would. But his worst start was probably on Saturday. And even then, like, you know, it's five, it was six innings, uh, two earned runs. He gave up four hits across the entire week in like 11 innings of work, which is still very good. Like the fact that he's still hitting 100, 101, um, limiting contact, uh 
God, I just love him. The ERA is at 0.69 now. Like, it definitely, I think, suffered after that start. But the FIP is still below one. Like, and he's still on pace to make, like, 29, 30 starts this year. Like, he's going to have every opportunity to, like, hold this up. And I'm, I'm, as far as what happens next, I'm not totally sure. Like, if these become, like, the regular starts for him, it's going to be harder to break the record. But I don't know. I still... It's still just such a gift watching him, and he's still very obviously going to win the Cy Young this year. So, assuming, assuming he stays healthy for the whole year, yeah. yes. And we are missing uh, a matchup of him against, you know, human again, Garrett Cole by like yeah. one day, which is a shame. Like they had the option to have him start that game because they're skipping Peterson or at least pushing Peterson back a couple days this week. Mm-hmm. Um so that DeGrom can stay on his normal, you know, start day. So he's getting the last game in Atlanta instead of pitching against Garrett Cole on Friday mm-hmm. in the Bronx, which like part of me is like, all right, yeah, just do what makes Jake comfortable. But also with the baseball fan in me is like, and the Yankees hater in me is like, I want to see him pitch out pitch Garrett Cole. Yeah. Like head to head so yeah. badly. Me too. I think, well, the good thing is there's still a city field series down the line and it will happen on our turf, which I think only benefits us more because DeGrom's an even like more unstoppable force at home. Um, Met fans will be, I think it will be our building. Um, Dude, I'm really excited about that. I do. I also have had to like confront my own, uh, like inconsistencies I guess as a baseball fan in the way that I root for Jacob DeGrom because like all I want is to see this guy complete a season where he breaks Gibson's record and just shatters every you know standing figure um and I would there's nothing that makes me happier every five days than like reading the Sarah Lang's facts and we're getting at the point now where she's basically like spitting out regular posts about you know like hits allowed strikeouts strikeouts to walks and it's all like this hasn't been done since 1900 or like since stats were first recorded like it's just and it's just the greatest thing and I love that so much so when he struggles against the Phillies and the ERA starts to tick up I'm like take him out or like if he's having any remote health problem at all like even if it's just from swinging the bat in like the third inning I'll be, I'll just like take him out, like protect him at all costs, even if that puts the Mets in kind of a worse spot. Like, like, I think that if he were going like seven innings and eclipsing a hundred some pitches more often, just even if you compromise like some of the actual like godly uh, performance, that still benefits the Mets. And also like, I've had to confront this too with like the all-star game a little bit because like, I don't want him to get hurt pitching that fucking game. Like, I don't want him to, I don't want him to like get his schedule screwed up from pitching, you know, one inning in Colorado, no less. Like it's, it just, it's one of those things where like, but what does Jake want? And also what's good for baseball? Like the all-star game would be so much cooler if Jacob deGrom were carving up hitters. Um, It'd be better for baseball. But then again, like, I don't know, man. Like, 
this is the best thing that's probably ever happened to Mets fans in our lifetime, at least on a, on like a player specific level. Like this is probably the best performance by a Met across all of base. Like he's basically the best pitcher in the world right now. And I don't even think like, I don't think Seaver was ever doing this sort of thing in one season, the way DeGrom is like, is Seaver a better pitcher all time than DeGrom? Yeah, absolutely. But like right now we're witnessing something that could potentially be talked about a hundred years from now. Like I want it to stay that way. I don't want it, you know, I, I don't want to like wear it out. Yeah. Protect him. He's an asset. Yeah. And I don't, I don't care about the all-star game, man. I, as time has gone on, I have cared less and less about the all-star game as a fan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe that's just cause I'm a jaded and cynic sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't care about all that stuff, man. Like he's going to be an all-star and that's what matters. Yeah. Performance in the all-star game, whatever, you know, he'd only be pitching one inning, maybe two. And it would be cool to see him carve up, you know, American League All-Stars. But if it gets him off his routine, and he is so meticulous with his routine, if it gets him off his routine, it endangers him. He's already been so fragile this year. If, you know, the 25 pitches he'd throw in the All-Star game increases his chances of getting hurt, yeah, it's not worth it. And I'd, you know, I don't want to see him have to skip a start against the it would be against the pirates no less yeah to pitch you know an inning maybe two in the all-star game i'd rather him put up seven scoreless against the pirates and get us into the all-star break with a win than you know have him miss a start so that he can you know be himself on national tv for an inning like he'll still be well i'm like he'll still be in colorado you know they could still yeah i mean show him off yeah. a little bit they can interview him on tv whatever i don't yeah. i don't need to see him pitch have you know put edwin diaz in the all-star game let him pitch i don't i don't mm-hmm. care about jacob Degrom pitching the all-star game not that much at least yeah. would it be cool to see sure but is it going to ruin my life if it doesn't happen this year not at all yeah i don't think it's so much about like us being deprived of something as it is about like baseball as a whole being deprived of something and i think that that's an argument that like it's it exists in a different sphere from what we're experiencing as Mets fans because being a baseball fan and being a Mets fan are like very different things um, because the Mets haven't always played baseball the way it like should be played or done things the way it should be done in baseball. But like, I do kind of, I don't agree per se, but I think there's value to the discussion that like, like think about Pedro Martinez pitching at Fenway Park in the all-star game like that's I think the prime example that's like the paragon of like like star pitcher at the highest stage in front of literally everyone who watches baseball um making history would that be good for the game if Jacob deGrom did that like I think it absolutely would um obviously the game has changed a lot in the last 20 years so you have to be sensitive to that it wouldn't be like they wouldn't give him like a whole batting order to do this to um you know, like they did with Pedro, but it's, it's still something where like, it's probably good for the game. If we share this, if we share Jake with the rest of the league, but I agree, like, I don't, 
I, I, I don't really care about the all-star game. Like it, the all-star game was fun when like the Mets didn't really have all-stars. Like when Matt Harvey pitched in the all-star game and it was our turf and it was like our guy, you know, the one thing that made watching that 2013 group worth watching, like that was, that was really fun. But now that the team is good, like we had this discussion like five years ago when Terry Collins looked down his dugout with like Bartolo Colon, Noah Syndergaard, Jerry Sumilia, all all-stars at Petco Park and was like, none of you are going to play. And people were pissed about that. Um, so I don't know, like now that the team is actually good and we have our own people to look after, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to care about that more. I don't know. It is an interesting discussion though, because like we always assume because we are Mets fans that we're also fans of baseball, like as a whole and like the growth of baseball as a whole, I also think there are other ways you can grow this game for, you know, without touching the all-star game, without even worrying about it. Like you could have a pitcher's home run derby, like that would be fun. And would, you know, I'd watch that. Um, I think the, uh, the actual home run derby in Colorado is going to be really cool. I mean, do we even know what the full, we don't have the full lineup yet. It's literally just Otani and Alonzo right now. And, uh, and Trey Mancini got an invite and it looks like he'll compete too, which is fun. Yeah, that is really good. Cause he's had a monstrous season and he's also like, I think touched a lot of people with his performance too. So that's, yeah. that's definitely deserved. But like, like Vlad isn't going to be there. I don't know if no Tatis, either. Do it. no Tatis. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the thing that like helps Pete turn it on and if peter you know if pete alonzo wins the home run derby it doesn't really matter what you know what Degrom does because pete will won back to back and like you know everyone will be talking about him and that will be really cool because i can't remember the last time we had a back-to-back champion was it Cespedes? it was yeah. Cespedes. oh man it was but that might be the only time it's happened yeah also uh, on Degrom with the all-star game what is he going to accomplish in the all-star game that he hasn't already accomplished in the all-star game? Cause he already has an incredible yeah. all-star game performance under his belt in Cincinnati. Yeah. What was that? 2015 when he, yeah, he like almost had an immaculate inning. It was like, I got the side on 10 pitches. Yeah. It was amazing. It was uh, also like Jose Iglesias and like, it wasn't the, yeah, it was like Steven vote too, but still like, yeah. I don't know. It was still cool. It was still cool. They it still, still they cool. still were in the all-star game. So, you know, that's cool. Um, but like nothing he's, he's, he literally can improve upon that performance by one pitch. So what's, you know, is it worth it even? No, not really. That's my point. Is that? Yeah. Not for us. It's not. Yeah. As a, for Mets fans, for baseball fans, yes, it'd be worth it to see Jacob DeGrom in the all-star game for Mets fans. It's not even close to worth it to screw up his routine and risk injury and miss a start against a bad team. Like, he's he's slated to go against the Pirates in that last series before the All-Star game, which they're playing the Pirates back-to-back series, sandwiching the All-Star game. They got That's seven games that they got to win. Yeah. I would love to see Jacob DeGrom throw a perfect game against them. I think that's his best shot at doing it, even. Like, his theoretically, his best shot would be doing it against the Mets. <laughs> Well, the, yeah. Because yeah. they're the worst offensive team in, in the majors. But the next closest is the Pirates because, yeah, they're the next closest team in terms of lack of offense. So, yeah. hopefully, maybe, 
whoever's yeah. uh, you know up there listening baseball gods also you know what i didn't realize like he got the no decision on saturday but this was a shock to me when i read it they won eight games in a row that degram has started like the Mets are no longer like it's it's really like that cycle of the Mets screwing over Jacob deGrom has like kind of passed us, even though they're still playing, you know, they still hit a lot of times like a team that's trying to screw over Jacob deGrom like Saturday was just like how many sack flies were hit on Saturday, three, four across the two teams. Um, There was one against deGrom. Yeah. Off was a was a sack fly. I think Diaz gave up a sack fly too, didn't he? Yes. Yes. Jeez. That's yeah. And then like the Pilar Homer, which was kind of a juiced ball thing, but also like I'm happy for Kevin. Um, like there are no juice balls. So that was just yeah, like it's it it's weird. Some of them try some of them do carry. I think baseball's doing weird things and it it's like it's unfortunate. Also, yeah, we're talking about the all-star game. You saw you see the uniforms that they put out. Oh my god, they're terrible. The they're hats atrocious. are cool. Those are hats. like stamps. Those I are like, like the hats. Stamps. I like yeah, the, the hats. hats are good. But the teams have to wear those during the game. It's atrocious. It's gonna awful. look really bad. It's gonna look awful. They should wear their own uniforms. That's like that's been a thing forever, and it's never been a problem. Like, you know, no one's ever been confused as to who's on their team, who isn't. You know, like it just. I don't know. It's, it's really one of those things where like, you don't, that's like the, one of the few things about the all-star game that I would ever change at all. Like, it's just stupid. I, I think a lot of things that, yeah, Rob Manfred's doing and major league baseball's doing is stupid. I'm also very like disheartened with the fact that like there are actual former players in the commissioner's office who are like allowing this to happen. But yeah, that's like the all-star game. I don't know what they're trying to do to change it. it. It just like, I don't know. At least they're not changing the game itself or like the balls or any of that. But like, yeah, it's not not in touch uh, thinking upstairs. And it, it could be a lot better. But we did get some good news about our uniforms though, which is that the black jerseys are gonna be coming back um, in July. We don't really know if that means the first home series in July or the first game after the all-star break in July. Like that could kind of mean anything. Uh, My gut. You know, is- Steve Cohen, I think has made a point of it that like. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say my gut is telling me first, yeah. first Friday, first weekend after the all-star break. That's what my gut's telling me. First Friday, that could be good. I've I've like been looking at, I think some of like the hype art that's been going around. Like Athlete Logos does a good job of a lot of this stuff. There are some other people too who put together like little renderings, which I think is really cool. But like, they can't wear the blue hats with the black jerseys. They have to wear black hats, right? Like we've we've established that this isn't just about the jerseys. This is about a whole uniform. It's gonna be a whole uniform set. Yeah, I think so. I think so, at least. Yeah. And okay. we're excited. I, I'm not, I'm not, that color scheme is bad. Yeah. I'm thrilled for the black jerseys. We, I know you and I also have a little something, something planned, which we're not going to get into now. That's a surprise for the fans at home when the black jerseys get officially revealed um, that we're holding on to that we're, we're pretty excited about. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for them because 
it just gets the fan base so fired up, which is great. Yeah, I, I've really grown grown to I've really grown to love the black jerseys a lot because people get so excited over them. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure uh, Howie Rose will have his own reservations about all of it. I mean, that's the other thing you get to spot who in your family and who who among your friends, who in your circle of fans uh, is is fond of them versus not i think the whole like i've we've been down this road before so i won't belabor the point but like this whole idea of like what the mets history and what their colors always are like that's just i don't know man like that's so arbitrary to me like the new york giants didn't have like black jerseys but they also were like a black and orange team like and that's that's what the whole i think color scheme is about is like paying tribute to those guys too i mean that's not why they do it that's not why they decided to do it in 1999 but if you want to get technical like that about the history of the colors like this is just one way of i think like paying respects to that paying homage like i don't know i mean yeah i don't i also don't really care about like what the history says like the history also says that the mets lose all the time like do we want to pay tribute to like the 1962 to 68 teams like is you know what i mean like when I think of black jerseys, I think about like Carlos Delgado and, and Cliff Floyd and Carlos Beltran. I think of winners. Like I think of like walk-offs at Shea Stadium after like Steve Traxel went like seven innings and took three hours to do it. Like I just think of, I don't know, just like the, the that's, I mean, that's what they were when they clinched. The last time they clinched anything at home, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it is a part of history, whether people like it or not. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah. The thing about history is that you're always making more of it. Yeah. So 50 years down the line, it's just going to be another thing that the Mets wore, you know, and the Mets have only had so many different kinds of jerseys throughout their history in terms of actual aesthetics. Like Outside of like the eighties when they wore those like pajama style pullover ones with the script yeah. into the nineties. Yeah. The majority of their history they have worn the white or off white pinstripe Mets unis. And that's all well and good, but like to an extent it gets kind of boring sometimes. Mix it up. Like they don't wear the I don't think they wear the blue home alternates nearly enough because those are gorgeous. Yeah, those are really pretty. And those were new too. Like they had never worn those at any point in their history. That was the first time they ever just wore blue alternates. They've always been like, I mean, I guess they had blue road alternates um, in like the eighties, but still like that's, I don't know. That's like a one-time thing. You could argue that that's not really a part of their like history, but yeah, I, I, I believe in like, yeah, adding to it, not standing by it. Like we have to make our own history basically. And also, yeah, those teams too, like I think the black jerseys also kind of resemble like a whole, like I think fashion turnover within that time because the Mets in those like later years of the jerseys, like think like 05 to like 2011, which I think was the last year they did it. They had a lot of different uniforms they'd wear. Like they had pinstripes, but they also had like those plain white ones, which is like, one or two like black or blue stripes down them they had pinstripes that had black pinstripes instead of blue ones like they've they've switched up uniforms a lot and the black ones were kind of like the most 
stand out of that era. Like I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm, and the players like it. So I'll tell you, I was really like convinced for whatever reason by that Steve Cohen tweet. I don't know why I took we're one day closer to black jerseys as we're one day away from black jerseys, but I did. And like, I was all of Friday after the first game of the doubleheader, I was like begging everyone who was at the game to tell me like, what are they wearing? Where are they? Like, you know, and they didn't have them. And I was like, I felt lied to until I read the tweet again, but like, yeah, he, Steve's done a good job. I think generating like conversation around it, which is cool. Yeah. He has a good idea. I think of what the fans want and he generally is down to do it most of the time. Now, if only we can get him to treat his minor leaguers better. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. I think that if we bully him enough, it will happen, which is, probably. A good, you know, but besides that, the Mets, we'll talk about injuries and then we'll remember some guys quickly. The, yeah. So the, the Mets are still banged up. We're getting Brandon Immel back Tuesday. Hopefully we're getting J.D. Davis back soon too because he's starting a rehab assignment this week. That hopefully goes well. Um, besides that, we're also getting three more guys on rehab assignments this week. Tomas Nito, Jonathan Villar, and Jerry's Familia, who all started IL stints around the same time, are all already going on rehab assignments for their short little uh, – stretches uh of injuredness vr had a calf strain nito had a wrist contusion after a hit by a pitch uh and familia had some arm fatigue thing so they're all going to join jd davis in syracuse this week which should be cool um the mets also like have chance cisco now they claimed him off waivers from the orioles so that's that helps the catching depth a little bit yeah uh and Batansis is still on rehab assignment. I assume he's going to be on rehab assignment until they can't have him on rehab assignment anymore. It's a 30 day clock. Uh, and then the big one is Carlos Carrasco is throwing again off the slope. Um, he's not yet off the mound mound, but he is not throwing flat ground anymore. So he, he uh, is hopefully getting closer again this is also like the fourth time that we've been at this step with carlos so we'll see how it goes yeah i'm actually like i'm on two ends with that i'm i'm thinking like see i really trust what they're working on with him because the reason it's taking so long is they basically want to make sure that like he never has a hamstring related problem ever again like that's why they've been so deliberate with this um but also like if he keeps having problems with his hamstring at his age like it might be over so it's I'm definitely holding my breath with that we have the trade deadline coming up and if he's not ready I'm you know I'm certain at this point Noah Syndergaard's not going to be ready until the last month of the season if that so they'll need to get something um because this can't go on for much further. And then with Batances too, like, I feel like the courteous thing to do would be just to use this rehab clock, especially because Syracuse like actually needs players down there. Like let him get comfortable, even if it's bad, you know, even if he continues to give up like three, four runs, even if he's only sitting like 92, 93, like just let him get his reps, let him really get healthy again. And then honestly, just cut him. Like let give put him in a position so that he can go somewhere else and get a chance rather than cut him now that he's hurt 
but there conceivably there's nobody on this roster in the bullpen and there's nobody like on the depth chart even who I would down the chance to spot to if this were 2020 it would be different like I'd be like yeah why not just throw him in there see if he can do it but right now like I mean how many times are you going to option Drew Smith how many times are you going to like call up and send down Sean Reed fully like you really can't at this point everyone who's in the bullpen I think has earned a right to stay in that bullpen um I mean maybe someone gets hurt and that's how it works out like maybe they just put Castro on a like phantom IL stinks injured list thing that they you he know, might have. need the he might need an IL stint because yeah he something's that going on there because he's he been bad. Little, everyone else has been great but like that little next round thing out. I would that's the only path I could see Batances getting a major league roster spot too at this point unless they uh, like like him more than like Yenny's Diaz or Yancy Diaz excuse me yeah but Yancy's not on the active roster anymore is he uh did they option him after he like yeah, he was the 27th, I think. Oh, no, he wasn't 27th, but they optioned him when they had that flurry of activations in the middle of the week. Like uh, when yeah. they called up Mazika and they purchased Oswald's contract. And there was one other deal that happened there. I think it was uh, I think it was Conforto getting activated. Those three, Diaz was one of the casualties. So right now, like the worst or I shouldn't say the worst, but the most vulnerable two guys in that pen who you can't, who you can shelf, but not cut are Drew Smith and Sean Reed Foley. And if they move either of them for Dylan Batances, I will become the Joker. I will do it on live stream. I'll paint my face on Periscope. Um, I shouldn't promise that, but like, I'll be really pissed because it, it just, it doesn't make sense. He's, he's, he's not pitching well in rehab. He's not good. Well, Syracuse in general right now is like 12 and 35. So maybe all these guys coming on rehab, they'll string together a few wins. And yeah, it could be good. It could be fun. Yeah. I mean, do any of these guys actually need a rehab assignment? Probably not. They've only been on the IL for like 10 days. So, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Team. We all got to get those Syracuse wins in. Yeah. All right. You guys want, you want to remember our guys now? Yeah, let's remember some dudes. All right. I'll let you go first because usually I go first. All right. Um, Subway Series coming up. And so I yeah. thought it would be uh, a good time to remember a guy who played for both teams. I'm going to remember a guy who started his career with the Yankees and was a regular for the Yankees for a while or, a, you know, an important player, you know, a guy who maybe not an everyday starter, but got a lot of at-bats for them. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy who – got off to just an incredible start in his career and then completely flamed out and spent his last year with the Mets um, and was out of the league at age 32. I'm remembering uh, Shane Spencer. Oh, who oldie. as a rookie down the stretch for the Yankees as a 26 year old rookie in 27 games in 1998, he hit 373 with 10 homers. Hmm. And a, a 1.321 OPS and a 236 OPS plus. So really like gaudy numbers. Yeah. And then came around as a part-time player in 71 games the following year and hit 234. Mm. And never really put it together um, for the Yankees ever again. You know, was traded in 2002. Uh, and then he was a Met in 2004. And hit 281 with a 742 OPS. He homered four times in 74 games. He wasn't good. 
uh, and then he never played Major League Baseball again. So Shane Spencer, I'm remembering you. His he's one of those guys who like has a son on social media who talks about anything and everything. He's a little bit more on the like the Gary Sheffield Jr. side of the Ugh. the family members. Like he's not like a a fun kind of transparent. Like he's said I think a number of times that like his dad hated being a Met, which I believe like if I were on the 2004 Mets, I'd probably hate it too. Um, probably like it was not a great team. I think John Sterling's call for him was like Shane Spencer, the hit dispenser or some crap like that. Like, you know, good, good for John Sterling, but also like, yeah, it, uh, that's a good guy though. I'm, I, I didn't think subway series. I was kind of scared that you were going to remember my guy because there was quite a flurry about him yesterday, but I'm remembering Hector Santiago. Oh yeah. Good one. Yeah. We've talked about the extensive list of former Mets who are now in the Mariners. Um, there's been a lot of names, but Hector Santiago might be the most famous one across the last 24 hours because he was the first pitcher to fail the uh, the the foreign substance inspection uh, yesterday, and he got ejected by the umpires. And after the game. Uh, after the game, they, what he and his manager basically said was it was rosin and I was sweaty and like considering it's Hector Santiago and not, you know, Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole, I believe him a hundred percent, especially with the, you know, with these umpires, because they don't really know how to conduct these checks either. Um, cause they usually don't have to do it. It all through all of history. It's just been, if the, you know, opposing team is like, check him then they check them. So umpires aren't really like studied in this kind of stuff, which is a component of the rule implementation. That's also really bad. That doesn't get talked about as much because it's not player specific, but uh, yeah, he got run from the game for it for literally having rosin on and sweating, um, which is just like really good troubleshooting, just a very solid plan. Um, it's not like the Mariners are really going anywhere and it's not really like Hector Santiago's going anywhere, but you literally burned. He's the first guy. Like this is the first bust is a guy who didn't even do anything wrong. So uh, really good stuff. Um, that's what he's been remembered for recently. I remember him as a Met, like he was kind of like Mike Montgomery in terms of like spring training guys. Like he just kind of threw and stuck around and cause he was a lefty, they were like, Oh yeah, we'll call you if we need you. And then they actually called him and I think Brody Van Wagen in like one of his famous quotes emerged from Hector Santiago's existence on the roster. It was like, I will continue to make this team better just like I have today. And I'm paraphrasing just like I have today by purchasing Hector Santiago's contract. And then yep. lasted like a month. But uh, bad, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm saying a lot of mean things about Hector Santiago. He got screwed over yesterday, um, and you really did. Really, I believe him too. Yeah, I 100 percent believe him. Like this is absolutely the kind of guy too that they would want to bust. Yeah, like they don't want to bust the big stars and and make it seem like oh the big stars are like really cheating. Cause they'll say something. They'll be like, I didn't, and everyone will be on their side. It'll be like with glass now who, you know, didn't even get busted, but got hurt. And everyone was like, you know, everyone rallied against the league. Like, yeah, this is a guy that no one will stand up for, but I will, I mean, I don't know. 
All right, Hector Santiago. Welcome, welcome to the pantheon of guys we've remembered on the podcast. Godspeed. All right. That's a good place to put a pin in it. I think episode 42, we're making our way towards 50. Can you believe it, Jack? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm thinking I'm, I got to see what's eight weeks from now because we might be in the thick of like a, a pennant race at that point. We probably will be. Yeah, yeah, that will be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. As always, be sure to give us a rate, a review, a download the episode, anything that's going to help our metrics, all that stuff. Please, we appreciate it. We'd love to grow, reach a bigger audience. If you've got a Mets fan friend that doesn't have a podcast in their life, feel free to share. Um, give us a follow on Twitter at the PGE pod for more content coming soon, more memes. And as always, I've been Sam Lebowitz. He's been Jack Hendon and Mets fans. Have a pleasant good evening. Thank you.